Our speaker this evening is Brother Everett Hufford, who comes to us from Memphis. Uh, he's probably a little less well-known to you than Brother Simmons, so we decided we'd just let him preview things this morning. Uh, so we're privileged to have Brother Everett speaking to us this morning, uh, and then again tonight at the area-wide. Uh, Everett has a lot of titles and degrees and things that I could tell you, but probably the best recommendation at Northside is that he's our own Elaine Denman's brother. Uh, so most of you probably, that's all the recommendation you need, you're fine, you're fine now. Uh, Brother Everett spent his youth uh, with Elaine in Jerusalem where their parents were missionaries. Uh, he is currently the dean of the Harding School of Theology. And in between, he's been a minister, an elder, consultant to mission teams, a professor, uh, done a number of great things in the kingdom. He's married to Eileen. They have three children and seven grandsons. Uh, and we are privileged to have Brother Everett Hufford with us this morning. He's going to come speak to us about our life together. Brother Everett. I have the opportunity to travel a lot. If you ask my wife, it's probably too much. Uh, but this is a special day to me just to be with my sister since I haven't even been here since she's been here. And so uh, I've heard a lot about this congregation and really do appreciate this time uh, to open the Word, to study the Word together with you this morning as well as this evening. I was reading Family Matters this morning at, at Elaine's table, and uh, I, I really identified with Steve's article about uh, his dad taking him to everything every church had in the area, because that's what my sister and I did. I went to many Sunday afternoon singings, to, and I remember the days of gospel meetings were one, one week long, and uh, I also remember the fact that every guest preacher stayed in my bedroom. I'll tell you why later on, but uh, I'm more task-oriented than my sister was, so that might have something to do with why they always found my bedroom was a little safer to stay in. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what you're doing tonight is very biblical. Peter and Paul, as well as James, had a deep concern for all of the brotherhood of believers. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and said, To those churches of Galatia, I want you to learn to love the family of believers, to do good to all, especially to the family of believers. To the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, Love God's family throughout Macedonia. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter Chapter 2, when he says, love the family of believers. Now, NIV translates it brotherhood of believers because they know something about the American culture that's typically reading the NIV. And that is our understanding of family is not the same as it was in the first century and not the same as it was in my sister's and my experience living in the Middle East. You see, in that day and time, Paul or Peter knew nothing of what we have as a nuclear family, mom and dad and two or three kids. That, that is a modern invention of the late 19th, 20th century. It was always the extended family. And some of you look like you're old enough in here to remember living around all your aunts and uncles and grandparents and extended family. That's what family was to them. It was big. And the smallest unit in that context is, in fact, mom and dad and kids. 
Whereas in our society, the smallest unit is an individual. Boy, that changes a lot of things. That changes our support network. That that changes the mentoring that we normally and naturally get when you grow up in an extended family as opposed to just living by yourself and repeating all the same mistakes and learning everything the hard way. A big difference. So what you're doing tonight, I think, is, is vital to your own spiritual growth and development in terms of learning to love and the family of believers. It's a wonderful family. A couple of months ago, I was with 150 church leaders in Swaziland. These are church leaders from seven nations in southern Africa and did a retreat for these leaders. We've got some incredible servants of God out there in the world, all over the world. And to someone who's a missionary kid, who's our, our parents need even, uh, I don't know how. I guess we were probably married eight or ten years before our parents ever even owned a home. So to us, the church was a family. I mean, it was our family. Wherever I've got more mothers than anybody should have. Because wherever I've gone, I've been adopted as part of that family. And I, I just, I want everybody to be blessed by this wonderful family that God has given us. And that's what I want to give a little bit of attention to this morning And that's our life together because we are a family of God. And and how do we take advantage of or appreciate the context which God brings us through Jesus Christ where we can have a real life and real faith and real friends? Now, not all scripture is clear to us. This is intentionally small because it's far away. There's some scriptures that are very close to our heart and there's some that are a long ways away. This is one of those long way away verses. It comes out of the end of Romans. And if you know the context of Romans, the Jews and the Romans were in the same church. Jew and Gentiles in the same church. And talk about diversity. We don't understand diversity. Not like that. Different languages, different cultures, different foods, different dress. I mean, different everything. The Romans never could understand why the Jews only had one God. Looks like you'd want as many as possible. And on and on it goes. Unbelievable differences. But toward the end of that letter, as Paul is kind of leveling the playing field, so we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all become a part of the family of God, and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He gives this command when you get up close. Accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. How did Christ accept you? When I was baptized in Artesia, New Mexico... I was all because I was a preacher's kid. I was already part of the church, right? They already had me leading singing and doing all kinds of things. But when I was baptized and became a believer and a follower of Christ, I just immediately had this much bigger family. Even Kermit Southard, the elder that we love and appreciate, called me Brother Everett. And I'm thinking, you talk about my dad. And he said, no, I'm talking about you. I'm now a brother. I'm not just a kid walking. I'm, I'm, I'm part of a family. When I was baptized, Jesus accepted me immediately and unconditionally. He knew I had a lot of growth to take, a lot of growth's going to take place. 
There are going to be days I'm going to disappoint him and be far away. And there's going to be days I'm going to be close and bring him praise. But he accepted me. And now Paul says to both the Jewish believers and the Roman believers, I want you to accept one another just as Jesus accepted you immediately and unconditionally. Do you realize how difficult that is? That's why we want to keep that verse far away. It's hard for us to accept people like us immediately and unconditionally. Parker Palmer said that community is probably best defined as the place where the person you least want to be with is always there. That's community. Everywhere I've preached or served in a church, there's always been somebody that didn't like me before I ever showed up. They just don't like people wearing glasses or whatever it is. I thought as a preacher, I'd be loved because I'm preaching the word and, and seeking to serve people. But no, it just doesn't work that way. It's tough. It's tough to be accepting. But you know, the, I, I want to spend some time on the other side of that, though, because when we are accepting, it is incredible what God does in our lives. As I start talking about community, you're going to start feeling some tension here because it, it immediately brings up this whole issue of how close are you to the community or how far are you from it. It was interesting in our family, there was a time the Hufford family was on three or four different continents, but we've always been close. We've had family reunions and we've, we've been involved in missions and church and it just seems like the church family and our physical family has sort of tracked along together. The other side of the family tree, however, all lived in the same part of the boot hill of Missouri and uh, they didn't get along. They didn't have family reunions. It was... Very different. And it was interesting how that we were just spread everywhere geographically, but we were still close. I also know there's, there's a reality in this church that there are a lot of you who are at the core of the church, that you're involved in everything. You have a pretty good idea of everything that goes on and why it goes on. And you have a close sense of, of family. And I, there's probably not much that could separate you from that. But in every church, there's always a ring outside of that or those who are sort of involved. And then there are those who are on the fringes. And then there's those out in our community, totally separate from any spiritual family. Those of you at the core, you have said this time and time again. And I haven't even been here, but I bet you said it. When you've had a serious crisis in your family and you've been hospitalized for weeks and whatever it is, you have said... I can't imagine anybody going through this without the church. I can't imagine anyone having to endure this without brothers and sisters in Christ who've been here for us and they're late at the hospital with us and they're bringing food and all of this. Surely all of you or many of you have been touched in that way by the family of God, that closeness. But you know, it takes some initiative on our part. As mentioned, I have three married Grown children, and those of you who are in this same boat know exactly what I feel a lot of times. I don't know how close and how far to be. Have you had that? You don't want to get, you know, in, and they kind of let you know if you're getting just a little bit too close. But you don't want to be uncaring. I mean, they're your kids. You want to share life with them, and you want to influence your grandkids, and you just, you want to be close. But it's not like it was when you were at home. They were at home. And we were all around the kitchen table every morning. 
So how do do we deal with this closeness and separateness? Then there's the whole spiritual dimension of our closeness to God. You read the Psalms and you'll hear this is, it's an ancient concern of humanity of being close to God. You remember Psalm 42, where it says, As a deer pants for the springs of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet that God? You know, there's just desire to be drawn close to our God, our Creator. But then you read Psalm 13 where someone's in the dark night of the soul. They are crying out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thought and every day have sorrow in my heart? Look to me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes. So from ancient of days, there's this sense that walking with God and a closeness to God is being in the light. And a separation from God, a distance from God is being in darkness. It's cold and dark. And you're alone. If you've ever been in the Carlsbad Caverns and the the depths of it when they turn out the lights, that's when you really feel alone. Somehow aloneness and darkness and coldness all seem to go together. But living in the presence of God is a place of warmth and light and closeness. But then you go to Psalm 139 and you're seeing the living on the mountain peak spiritually. I don't know how you could better describe the closeness to God than the psalmist says, Oh Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You are familiar with all my ways. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, which means if I can go as far as the east as I can go, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, being in Palestine, that's the Mediterranean. So if I go as far west as I can go, Your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. When I awake, I'm still with you. You feel this tension of real life and of spiritual journeys. You read the Psalms of this sense of closeness to God and separation from God. But something happened in human history that changed this forever. The coming of Christ. The Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. You can't get any closer than that. I've had some people when I've been camping, their tent was too close. Couldn't sleep the whole night. He pitched His tent among us. And we beheld His glory. And what did that do? That transformed society. That transformed the community of Jerusalem as they began to do something very different than they'd done Ever before, even in a close Jewish community, it even got closer. But one thing important to remember when we come to the the body of Christ is genuine closeness is always chosen. It's not driven. It's not forced. It's not obligated togetherness. But don't interpret the freedom as it doesn't matter. I think too often we've interpreted that freedom to do what we want to do as, well, it really doesn't matter one way. If it mattered, God would have a law for it and we'd have to do it then what kind of relationship would that be? You choose to become a disciple of Christ. 
But with that choice, there is a blessing. And the blessing is, the closer you get to God, the closer you have to get to his people. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not live in community with believers. You can try, but a lot of things are going to be lost. Here's what John says about it. I know recently you've been studying 1 John, so I hope this lesson fit in the study that you've been doing. But in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, as we've just read, notice how he makes a clear, John draws a clear relationship between their relationship with God and the relationship with each other. As a side note, as, as John wrote the Gospel of John, there's a real contrast between it and 1 John in the sense that when he wrote the Gospel of John and this sort of the early, the primitive Christianity, the world in darkness was all outside the church and light and fellowship was all inside the church. By the time he gets to the later years of his life and he writes 1 John, look what changed. What was darkness outside the church now is darkness within the church. Because there are those who are claiming to be disciples of Christ and still walking in darkness. And so as he is coming to the final years of his life and having seen for 50, 60 years what's been taking place, he now has a whole new concern. He is so serious about it that this sweet apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle that we associate with love, Starts calling them liars. Now, I don't, I, I try not to make it a habit that the first time I preach at some place, I call people liars. So I'm just quoting John here. This is not from me. But he is going to stretch us and challenge us. And I think here's where I sense this tension that we all want to do God's will and seek to be faithful disciples of His. But one of those tests, clear tests, is our relationship. With the body of Christ. If we claim we have fellowship with him. Yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We will have fellowship. Here's one thing I did with this verse. That helped me at least apply it in this context. Light is close. Darkness is separate. If you're walking in darkness, you're separated from God. Read this text, inserting that into it. God is close. In Him is no separation at all. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in separation, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk close, as He is close to us, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. God wants to guide you, as the psalmist says, and take you by the hand, whether you go as far to the east or as far to the west. You'll still wake up in the morning and you will be with him. That's always been his desire. We live in a society that has changed this dramatically. What's very common now among second and third generation Christians is a yes to Jesus and a no to the church. Tom Albright, in his book on life together, made this observation. From 1 John, I can say, or we can say, that there is no forgiveness of sin outside the church. Now, that got my attention because I'd never heard it said quite like that. So, as he explained it, it began to make sense. The church administers the forgiveness of sin, not through its officials, not through some democratic vote of the church, 
but through the love and fellowship shared by the body of believers. Let me give an example of that that is right on my heart right now because one of the churches I've been consulting has been gone, going through, uh, as, as churches do. In fact, the, the research says a church go through a crisis about once every five years. That's not, that can be rather pessimistic, but it's a, it's a reality. I mean, even our families go through cycles of, of crisis. But this church did a 40 days of prayer, and in the middle of that, one of the elders became convicted of a sin of his. He hasn't paid his income tax since 2006. A lot of explanations, a lot of reasons for it. And so he began meeting with IRS and his attorney and his accountant, and they've been getting everything sorted out, but he kept it secret until a couple of weeks ago. Before the whole congregation, he confessed his sin. And we'd had a lot of discussions with the elders, with preacher there and myself, as trying to work through this process, what they're going to do. He just wanted to resign and, and be done with it and move on. I said, well, I think you need to let the church respond to this first. And I called him yesterday at the airport. In fact, I asked him if I could tell the story today. And he said, yeah, fine. He said, and he's been one of those elders that's really has a shepherd's heart. He cares for people. But he's also been in those tough situations where you have to challenge people with the word. And, you know, they, they don't like what they hear. It doesn't come as good news. And, I mean, and it's, it's tough to exercise discipline and love. Everybody should understand. Any parent would understand that. But he said, I have never, never been so amazed at God's tangible grace than I receive from my own brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is an elder, a shepherd, who has been the giver all of his life, never really received in the church in that sense. And now it's time for the church. He said, he said even sister so-and-so, who had nothing to do with anybody, would never hug anybody. She came up to me afterwards and gave me a big hug. I didn't know what to do with that one. How can you say yes to Jesus? And know to his most tangible way to affirm your forgiveness with his own people who themselves are redeemed, who have been forgiven, and who are seeking to pass that on. Plus, as in this church, with any church you've ever been in, there are some of you that just, you were given the gift of generosity and the gift of mercy. I'm, I teach graduate school, so I, I wasn't given the gift of mercy. And I was glad that everyone didn't have to have all the gifts. But somebody's got to have that gift of mercy. But when you are disconnected, you don't go to a Bible class, you're not in a group with other Christians, you're not actively involved in just the life of the church, how will you ever tangibly know the mercy of God? You know it in fellowship with His people. That's why I think John can be so bold to say, You're a liar. If you say that you walk in the light, but you do not have fellowship. That's in the first chapter. Fourth chapter, in case you missed it, or as he cycles back around, he wants to make sure you get it. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or loves him less, he's a liar. If anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I say it this way, you can fake faith, 
There's a sense that you can just fake your faith, but you cannot fake fellowship. (laughs) You're either in fellowship or not. You either attend activities and do things with brothers and sisters, and they do things with you, and they know your name, and they know your number, and they've been to your home. You can't fake that. Faith, maybe. You can always go to church. You can read your Bible. You can do things. But the real struggle is going to come when you tear down walls that you've created, some of which I realize are justified. As in another article in your family matters, there are people who have been jerks and who've been who've inflicted pain on others. But that's not God's intention. And if you can find a way to overcome that pain that has been inflicted, And allow God to work in your life through your brothers and sisters, through a community of believers. That's God's dream and design for every one of us. Back two years ago, I spoke in the Red River family camp in Taos, New Mexico, and took our three, three of our grandsons. There's twins, and three of the seven, but these are the three that are eight. Every, I don't know, my daughters got together and I guess just planned all their, their pregnancies at the same time because every kid has a cohort. But uh, these were the three, that, so the twins and a cousin. And so we're driving, you know, we drive out there. We drive through Lubbock to visit my mother-in-law who's in a assisted living and had to get go get something to hang a rod in her room. So we put the boys in the car and we head out and the twins are sitting on each side of their cousin and the cousin says, where we're we going? I said, well, we're going to Lowe's. <laughs> and he goes, what is Lowe's? And I could see in the rearview mirror, both boys, both twins just turned and their jaw dropped. It's like, I thought we were in the same family. And so one of them said, you know, it's like Home Depot. And he goes, what's Home Depot? (laughs) And these two little eight-year-olds just go, and they were just speechless. Because you see, their dad lives at Lowe's and Home Depot. He's... He's got his own air and heat business, and he fixes everything, and he's got every tool you can think of. Whereas the poor cousin's dad was a disc jockey <laughs> and a youth minister. And uh, he may, I think I've seen a hammer and a screwdriver at his house. So he didn't know what that was. Next scene. We get out of the car, and here you, you go up to Lowe's, and you know the door opens up, and here are the three walking in front of us. And one of the, the twins puts his arm around the cousin who's still in the middle and goes, let me show you Lowe's. Now, my dad usually starts over here. He gets the little stuff first, and then he gets the big, And then he starts giving him this tour of Lowe's. I thought, this is great. This is what fellowship should be by. Let me show you what mercy of God is like. I like this. This is good for me. This is better for me. Now, you may like that. And all of us need a guide and someone to take us by the hand and walk us through our life together. Because some are crying out, look to me and answer me, O Lord. Give light to my eyes this very morning. Some of you have woken up and realized by God's grace, you're still with God. If there were terms randomly we could use to describe what it means to walk in the light and fellowship and close to God, these are some of them. You could do a whole series of sermons and Bible classes on all of these and why all of them are important in our walking in the light. 
But there are a few that, to me, I want to just highlight quickly, this sense of family. But it's hard for it to be used in our society because our own sense of families is being eroded. There is unity in the family, but not uniformity. And that's hard to understand unless you're in an extended family. My wife grew up in an extended family where there was like 50 or 60 of them. They all farmed neighboring farms in Lubbock, Texas. And every Thursday night, they got together and played 42. They had Thanksgiving every Thursday night. I didn't know what that was. I mean, I live 6,000 miles away from aunts and uncles. I, I I couldn't believe it. Every week, all the time. So all the cousins are like brothers and sisters. Of course, they all know too much about each other, too, but they're close. They're very close. But there's not a uniformity. There there is this sense, though, of unity. They're a family, and there's some core values that define them as that family. And when we walk close to God, we know we can be open with Him. We can walk in fellowship with Him. I found it interesting as I look back through the book of Acts, what happened when people became Christians. You know, Hebrews 13 tells us as Christians we're to show hospitality. In fact, it's given as a command. And to me, hospitality is one of the most tangible ways to show God's grace and mercy. I've had unbelievable people have me in their home and and feed me like a king and I didn't work for it or deserve it. They've just been incredibly gracious to me. It's God's tangible grace and mercy. Sure enough, when you start reading the book of Acts, you find out in chapter 2, when they became Christians, they immediately started being together a lot, had fellowship together and breaking of bread. And then in chapter 16, you find in Philippi, a lady became a believer in Christ. She and the members of her household, as soon as they were baptized, they invited them, including Luke. This is a wee passage. Luke and the whole group were invited to her home for a meal. Now, I can just see some Americans, you just became a Christian. We don't want to push you too much. We don't want to overdo it. You need to come over to our house. Well, let's go out to McDonald's. We'll, we'll eat out and then we may, you know. And then a few verses later, same thing happens with the jailer. They brought him to their home and set a meal before them. Hospitality. Now, again, you can't fake hospitality. You either have people in your home or you don't. You can't fake fellowship. You either have time with people and give priority to it or you don't. And tonight is certainly one of those times where you can both show hospitality since you're hosting the area-wide and fellowship with brothers and sisters in this area. And out of that context, deepen your faith in God and open yourself up to the way God will surprise you and bless you in his body and in his family. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we study and reflect on your word, we pray that you'll guide us and lead us and take us by the hand. Our heart does hunger and thirst for a relationship with you. We want to be close. We realize as our creator, the Holy One, we're not worthy. But we also know without a doubt that because of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. That when we're born again, we become worthy to be in your presence and to stand in your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that if there are hearts that are in darkness. 
and in the dark night of the soul, that you'll draw them closer through people who have been and are reaching out to them. Lord, I pray for all of us as we seek to hold your hand and not turn loose as you lead us and guide us through life. We know that it was your will that we have peace and that we have life abundantly and that we walk in the light and that you in your own divine wisdom made it possible that because of the fellowship of believers, the family of God, the church, we are equipped to be faithful. We are provided with gifts around us that encourage us and nurture our faith and that we have a place to use our gifts, a place to understand how truly significant and important each and every one of us are in your family, for which we're grateful. And Lord, today, accept the words of our our mouths and the meditation of our hearts, that it will be acceptable to you. That our life together will honor you in all that we say and do through Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you've not been born again of the water and the spirit and want to be drawn closer to this church, there will be shepherds here to welcome you and lead you and guide you and to be God's hand and God's voice in your life. Please come as we stand and sing this song.